How do you manage that pain for yourself? Um, I've, I've always kind of told myself that, you know, it doesn't always get worse in an ultra, you know, and I've told myself that pain is not linear. Pain is cyclical. Like it'll come in a cycle. So like I might be feeling bad now, but I'm going to feel good in a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm feeling bad and I'm going to continue to feel even more bad as time goes on. And I've kind of learned that these waves kind of come and go. And usually these swings kind of happen either because of nutrition or hydration. So mm-hmm. kind of staying on top of that will help kind of keep your mind where it should be. And I've kind of learned that, yeah, if I'm feeling something here, if I just, if I'm patient enough in the process that it'll, it'll go away or pain will go somewhere else. Um, something else will end up hurting. And when you're out there for that long, I mean, it's just the human body. Things tend to hurt after you do things sometimes. But I just knew that it wouldn't always be like that. And this is also something that I can recover from once this is done. So this is temporary. And I just had to accept that and just be in that. I just want to thank you for listening. My mission is to help you improve your life with by faith, family, fitness, and to seek more freedom in every aspect of your life as well. So before we get started with our episode, I have a couple orders of business. If you're enjoying this show, please leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcast. It just takes a couple minutes of your time, and it helps me immensely to get connected with other people and to share the message of the show, and most importantly, to bring people to Christ. If you haven't already ordered my book, go now to your favorite online bookstore and order Freedom to Ascend. Now, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Survival Rubber is the ultimate fire tinder. Swap out your fire plugs and fire rope. This sleek and familiar waterproof tinder package keeps the cotton and fuel combination dry and safe from the elements. It's ready when you need it most, whether it's for an emergency or just for camping. Get your ultimate fire starter now at survivalrubber.com or on Amazon. In today's cramped, crazy, crowded world, it can be difficult to find ways to stand out. That's why Peace of the Sea is a jewelry brand that helps you stand out in a meaningful way by using authentic sea glass hand-picked from Maine's rocky coast. Through decades of weathering by harsh ocean conditions, each piece of glass becomes the unique, radiant piece used in every product. Whether you're looking for something new and exciting for your own wardrobe or a unique gift that it's sure to leave an impression, Peace of the Sea helps you stand out while serving as a reminder that what you go through makes you more beautiful than ever. Personalize it, your order now, at peaceofthesea.kpt.com. Welcome everyone to the John Gardena Classroom. We have a very special guest today, Eric Keenly, who was the runner-up in the last man standing at the Mid-State Mile of 2022. He's just an inspiring individual who has such grit, and I just cannot wait to dive into not only the race itself, but, but him as a person, because the more we can learn from individuals who have grit, who have tenacity, um, that mindset of a warrior the more that we can take that into our lives and change for the better. So, Eric, I'm looking forward to getting to know you and getting to find out um, how you became such an, uh, an elite person in your life. All right, so here we go, Eric. 
Let's just talk about the beginning of like maybe just how, where you grew up and uh, what kind of kid you were. Uh, just you know, with any of your siblings or your family, we'd love to hear your your past. Sure. Uh, so I'm Eric Kainley. I grew up in Florida, uh, originally around like Orlando and Cocoa Beach area. I kind of split my time between the two. Um, I have one younger sister around high school as uh, I moved with my dad. My uh, my sister went with my mom and she lived in Orlando. But growing up, I was kind of always active. I never really like played sports or anything. I tried. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't very, I wasn't the, the top pick for any sports really, but I did like kind of dabble a little bit. Uh, mostly what I would do just for activity was I would either just kind of ride my bike or skateboarding, uh, surfing, uh, really had a love for the ocean. And that's kind of where I really found myself when I was younger, as far as like any kind of activity went. Yeah. And when you moved, where did you move to from Florida? Uh, so I moved to Montana. Uh, I moved here about two years ago and I got an awesome job offer and I've been living out here ever since. Oh, nice. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about your, your upbringing. So you sounds like you were just an average kid. Uh, did you like school at all? Yeah, uh, I, I liked school when I was when I was a little bit younger, uh, not so much. But once I got into high school, was kind of where like I settled and mm-hmm. kind of learned how to find myself as a student and achieve. And then after high school, uh, I went to the University of Florida and I graduated with my degree from there, and uh, just kind of started working. What did you get your degree in, Eric? Uh, I was animal science biology. I was originally on the path to be a veterinarian and I worked as a, a veterinary technician for about 16 years all kind of different areas of the field hmm did you have love for animals I, I assume yeah yeah you know it sounds very similar to my family my wife is a anatomy biology teacher and growing up she had a slew of animals and it was just always nice to, um, when we got married we you know we never really had a dog grown up I didn't we always had cats but I'll be honest, like her coming into my life, uh, our kids have experienced three dogs. We have a rabbit, you know, cats. <laughs> it's been, it's just been fun to, to be around animals in our life. So kind of just, yeah, lay out what happened. So after college, you were um, just pursuing um, that field and you got a job in Montana. Let's talk right about that point right now. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I came out here, let's see, um, about, about 10 years ago. Um, while I was working in veterinary medicine, uh, one of the doctors that I worked with just asked me if I wanted to run a half marathon. And I just kind of blindly said, yeah, and I signed mm-hmm. up for it. And uh, I had no idea how far that was. So I asked her after I signed up and paid for it. I was like, how far is this? Yeah. She's like, it's 13 <laughs> miles. And I was like, all right, I guess, well, we're going to run 13 miles. And uh, at that time, um, I was actually smoking cigarettes and I was trying to get off it. And that was when my daughter was born. And uh, it was actually that that kept me off of cigarettes. So I kind of just was able to stay off it and pursue something else uh, way more important than uh, smoking cigarettes. Yeah. Thing for running where it began, the seed was planted, was you you said a doctor who just said, hey, run this half marathon. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So talk about that experience of running that first half marathon. So honestly, I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) I... You know, I knew that I was going to have to put in the work for it. Yeah. Um, so I kind of found, so I literally just went to Google Images and typed in half marathon training plan. And, um, you know, I didn't have any 
real fancy shoes or fancy equipment at that time. You know, I still have like an old school iPod and some basketball shorts. And I was, I think I was running like a pair of K-Swiss tubes at the time. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Thank God I didn't get hurt. But um, I just like this, this getting out the door and kind of building off of something that didn't exist before Mm -hmm. and making it something. And I, you know, I liked how much work it took to put in just kind of week to week, but then I liked, I liked the getting strong. I liked the result of it, and mm-hmm. I liked the, the growth. And after I finished that race successfully, I kind of just wanted more, and I wanted something harder. Yeah. So, you you said this was ten years ago when you did that? About, yeah, about ten years ago now. Okay. How old are you now? I am thirty-five. Okay. So right mid mid twenties challenge you were you said you were smoking and did it stop uh did this training help you stop smoking oh yeah i've been off it ever since i've never never looked back once oh that's great man that's a great testament for those those who have addiction of nicotine um i mean i think if you do something positive it definitely does help um to curb that maybe that desire because you get that dopamine drop for sure when you run so it just changed from nicotine to uh, the experience of running and the highs you get from that. So talk about uh, moving forward after that first half marathon. Uh, what were your goals after that? I mean, I, I, I think my my friend, uh, my friend's sister at the time, she was doing Ironmans. So I was kind of watching her do Ironmans. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of thought that, you know, that was the natural progression with running. It was, you know, after you did like a half, I guess you go to a full marathon and then you go from there. So I, I went for I went for a few full marathons and then I kind of wanted something harder. But the more homework I did as far as looking into triathlons, I realized it was just kind of too many moving parts as far as swimming clothes and running clothes and bike clothes and bike parts and this, mm-hmm. that, and the other. And then around that same time, I also I was watching just YouTube, just doing like my homework, and I uh, I realized like something on uh, ginger runner popped up and it was sort of hurt 100 mm-hmm. and these ultra marathons started kind of pouring through and i never heard about them i really didn't know that that was something people did and the more i learned about that i just kind of realized i just needed more shoes and more more food yeah. um and i I, know, I, was, I was fascinated by it i was fascinated just by the struggle and the level of perseverance that it took for people to do these and i kind of went I want to do this more than I want to do an Ironman. Mm-hmm. So I went into ultras. No, that's great. You're, um, you know, I think that's what happens when, and I've only been really running since 2019. And the thing I've learned too is just you got to find your niche. What do you want to pursue? And like you said, for you, it wasn't an Ironman, it was ultra running. And I think what everyone needs to understand is you just got to keep experiencing different races. And then once you do that, you kind of find out which path, you know, no, no pun intended, that you, you would like to pursue as a, as a hobby or just as a, a true passion. And when you did your first ultra, which, which race was that? And how many years after, which, I'm sorry, how many years after that first half marathon did you run your first ultra? I want to say it was about, it was about maybe three or four years after I did my first uh, road race. Um, mm-hmm. It was a Blood Rock 50 miler um, in Alabama, okay. and I decided to do that because I just wanted something that was kind of hard and challenging, and 
um, you know, something kind of close to home because I was living in Florida at the time. So I wanted something that was maybe, you know, a state or two away as far as a drive goes. Um, but yeah, I went out there and it was outstanding and it snowed the night before and, you know, being in Florida, we don't get much snow Mm. at all. So it was something that I just, I just loved that I was just completely like blindsided by and I ended up doing really well and I ran super strong the whole race and ended up getting third on my first attempt at a distance like that. That's amazing. And do you, do you think it's, um, and we'll get deeper into the, I guess, the groundwork of how you become who you are now with the, the mindset and grit. But when you trained for that race, uh, was it that much different from training for a marathon? It really wasn't. Um, it was very similar to training for a marathon because I would try to make it so that my long runs weren't really anything longer than 20 to 22 miles mm-hmm. when I would do them each week because I wanted to also make sure that I could absorb that training and recover from it and be ready for the next week of training. I didn't want to do something so much that it was detrimental to the next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, uh, personally, I've learned the same thing too, training for ultras. Um, I, the thing that I don't have for children, so time is <laughs> of the essence. So I try to just squeeze in as much time on my feet that I can. And, and for the mid-state, it was more just trying to do hill repeats. But for your first ultra, was there a lot of elevation? Uh, there was. I want to say there was maybe around like 10,000 oh, feet wow. or so. Wow. Um, but yeah, it was it was pretty up and down. And there was a couple few, there was a few out and backs with these power line sections that were literally just straight up in the snow. And it was, it was awesome. And I, I loved it. Like mm-hmm. some of these things I'd come around the corner and look and I'd be like, I don't want to go up there, but like I would do it and then it'd be fine. And I'd come down and get to another part and feel good. But I, I loved it. I, I kind of became fascinated with climbing mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. That's, I was going to say, cause you, you have to have had that experience, I would say, um, to perform well, like you did this past weekend. And that's where it kind of was rooted then, right? In that 50 at, in Alabama. That's kind of where it started, and then it just kind of naturally progressed from there. And I always, I always sought out races that were just hard and in the mountains and tons of vert, and that's kind of what I chased. So let's talk about some of the races that you've you've done. Maybe a, a, a certain race or two that you may have had a lot of growth that you, whether from training or from the race, that really stand out to you. Sure, um, I think you know there's there's a few. Um, Cool Joel, uh, Cool Joel 50 was something I went after uh, originally. Like when I first started looking up hundred milers, but one of the things I googled was like toughest hundred milers in in America, and Cool Joel was one of these things that popped up. And I tried to make it a point to do that mm-hmm. as my first hundred because I wanted I wanted it to be so hard that everything after that would seem easier. Wow. Uh, so I started with like the 50. Um, I had I had done Georgia Death Race also. I had done U-Ray 50, um, just these really, really hard things, and I was trying to progress to the hundreds. Um, unfortunately, the night before I was supposed to do Cruel Jewel, I had hurt my back, and I had to withdraw from the race. Yeah. So Cruel Jewel didn't get to be my first 100, so my first 100 ended up being uh, no business 100 through like Kentucky and Tennessee with a ton of hurt, hmm. and I did great. I ended up getting like fifth. Uh, on my first hundred and I just absolutely loved it. And 
and again, like it just kind of kept progressing. It became this kind of monster it is now. Yeah. So you just you were, in it's totally opposite mindset than I would have had. Of you said you wanted the toughest hundred, just so that everything after that would be easier. What a great phrase. And where did you think you learned that that mentality? Is it just who you've been, or just maybe you've learned to be like that? I think I learned it in my training. I think, you know, kind of looking back after a couple of years of being a runner, you know, every time I would get to this new distance, I was like, okay, we're going to do now my longest run is going to be eight miles. Or now my longest run is going to be 14 miles. I just liked that being alone and searching in yourself to just pull something out. And just to be a little more gritty, kind of when nobody was around and nobody was there to watch except for myself, and do it successfully. And I really, I just liked that. And I liked when I was in starting to do ultras, I kind of realized how much time you spent by yourself out there. And you'll find yourself in no man's land on the trail very easily. Uh, but I just, I just kind of liked that. And it just kind of made me remember what it was like to get to that point to be able to race. So I was always kind of able in races to kind of reflect and remember like what it took for me to get there. Yeah, man, that's great. I th- and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you do find a lo- out a lot about yourself when you are by yourself on the, on the trails or on the road. And, um, how, how do you just manage or balance your, your time for training, uh, with, with your, with your daughters and your, in your work? So what I, what I would have to do, yeah, because I also had a ton of animals also. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just get up super early. I used to get up around like four in the morning and I, you know, take care of all the animals in the house. And then I'd be out the door by like five, five thirty. I'd get my run in and I'd come home before, you know, the kids woke up. I'd come back just in time to take a shower, get the kids up, make breakfast and get them out the door to go to school. And then I'd go off to work. So I would be absolutely exhausted by like eight thirty, nine o'clock at night. It was time to go to bed. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to bed at that, that hour, I mean, waking up at four, you're still getting like seven hours of sleep. So it wasn't that detrimental. It wasn't like I was going to bed at midnight. So I just yeah. woke up super early and I kind of liked this, uh, you know, chasing the sunset thing. I like to try to see if I could be back home while it was still dark, mm-hmm. you know, while I would like to try to just beat the sun. And I, I just like that. Yeah. Well, that's great because um, similar just to you, I have to <laughs> I have to train early in the morning too to get my kids up with my wife and um, get them. We, we leave our house when I'm in school teacher and so is my wife. So right now it's nice. We don't have to worry about getting to school. But during the school year, we're out of the house by 630 in the morning. So every run had to be done by like 545. Um, so I, I could relate. And I think that's one thing that I've learned is that discipline uh, equals an opportunity for you to be better and don't miss in in the one thing too that waking up early i think does for you is that discipline also of getting up and saying you know what even though i don't feel like running today i'm gonna go run and i think that plays into a a winner's mentality would you agree absolutely and and you know besides this the discipline it was also it was a very like personal time for me for reflection you know just I mean, a house full of, you know, kids and animals and my job working in the hospital was everything's very, very loud and there's a lot of moving going around. And it was nice to just get out and run for whatever distance it was because that was my quiet time. 
you know, that yeah. was my like moving meditation time to just kind of reevaluate myself and reflect every day. So yeah, it, running kind of became my moving meditation in that sense. I think if more people understood that, and maybe it's not running, maybe it's walking or cycling or just moving your body. If more people would understand to do that every morning, I guarantee you there'd be a lot more happier people. Would you agree Agreed. with that? You're right? I, I Absolutely. Just, I just find people who are, they're always complaining about how, oh, I'm so busy, I don't have time to myself, and I always think to myself, you telling me you don't have a half an hour or 20 minutes to wake up earlier and go for a walk or a little jog, and then you right. get that sweat. Anytime you sweat, you know, you start getting those endorphins going, and you're like, hey, I got that vibe. I'm feeling good. And But most people use the excuse of, the time factor, which is always a lie to me. I never understood that. Is 20 minutes when you actually put it down. But they said, if you can't take that amount of time to feel better about your life, then you don't deserve to feel better. You can't sit around and complain if you're not making an effort to try to do something different. Yeah, I mean, people just have to understand that it is about effort, right? And all of us need to just take one maybe habit to change, a good habit, and then you could literally change the trajectory of each day that you live um, and feel so much more um, fulfilled. That's the word I love to use, is being more fulfilled. And it sounds like to me that you have a good balance, you know what you need, and then because of you taking care of yourself, that's not being selfish, I think. It's being selfish if you're taking the entire day out or most of your day devoted to you. But you're getting your work in before you take care of your daughters and you're doing your job. So people just need to know how to manage their time, but they need to take care of themselves as well and find that that time of, I don't know what to use the word, isolation, but reflection period to really think about their thoughts, their mission and vision in life as well. So, so Eric, we're right at the 20-minute mark right here, and we're going to go into the recess. So I'm just going to ask you a couple quick questions. Just go with what comes to you first. So um, who was your favorite teacher growing up? Oh, my favorite teacher growing up? Probably probably my history professor, um, Mr. Binney, in high school. Um, it was one of my friend's dads, and I just – I always loved history. I always kind of loved to see how we got to where we are, mm-hmm. and I didn't really realize it. Um but I always just kind of like how things unfolded and I liked to remember like the progression of how we got here, but he was always a super cool down to earth guy. And, um, yeah, I was very grateful to have him as a professor. That's great. So let's go to what's your favorite place that you've traveled to. Oh, favorite place I've traveled to, um, would be Santander, Spain. Um, I, I did a study abroad there when I was in college and I was there for six weeks, and it was absolutely amazing. And it was something I ended up going back to years later and seeing, like, the school I was at and uh, the places I stayed. It was just very cool to go back there and kind of, you know, re- reignite the spark that, like, drew me to traveling. Yeah, that's great. And the last question, what's your favorite meal, food choice? Oh, sushi. Absolutely sushi. That's you're the first one to say that. That's awesome. So, all right, we're going to jump back into the classroom, and we're going to just focus on the Mid-State Mile for the next uh, duration, okay? So this is your third time running the Mid-State Mile. 
let's talk about the first year and kind of break down what you really learned and, and how you performed there. So go ahead, start with the first year. Yeah, so first year, um, you know, that was that was 2020 and that was COVID and every race was kind of shutting down left and right. And uh, Becca Jones and John Cox kind of happened to be the only people out there who were still going to be able to put on a race. And um, I found out about it through Becca and we went up to Tennessee and I kind of had, I absolutely had no idea what I was getting into. Mm -hmm. I was familiar with last man standing. So like the original 4.16 miles every hour for, you know, a hundred miles every 24 hours. I was, I was familiar with that format, Mm -hmm. Um, not with the 1.1 every, every 20 minutes. So I kind of went into it a little blind and I think it was kind of good because I really didn't realize what that race was going to require. Mm -hmm. Um, but like I had a good, good fitness base underneath me. So I was able to, I was able to hang until I was like the fourth to last person. But the second that race ended, I realized that like I had so much more to give. And the second I got hydrated and ate, I was out there just hiking loops just because I was just killing time waiting for my buddy to finish the race. But then everybody kind of remembers Greg Armstrong's, you know, his fall coming across the finish line when it got to the final two. And I saw that and I definitely thought like, what does it take to get to that point? Like if I had more to give and that guy's still out there doing that and getting up, like what does it take to get to that point? So it just kind of ate at me for a whole entire year until I came back and I was just trying to figure out like, where does this come from? Like, how can I just, when it feels bad, like how can I just produce more? Mm-hmm. So what did you do between year one and year two for training or for mentality or nutrition? What did you, what did you change up? So I, um, I like to race pretty like high volumes during the year. I'll normally do like four or five races a year. What um, kind of races? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, oh. Mostly, you know, ultra marathons okay. and stuff, different trail stuff, um, some longer distances, usually 50 or, or higher. Mm-hmm. Um, but I literally canceled everything that I had coming up and I solely wanted to focus just on mid state mile. Mm-hmm. So I canceled, I canceled like my race in March. I canceled two other local ones here and I just said, the only thing I'm going to do is just train um, for Georgia, or excuse me, um, for, mid, yeah, for mid-state mile. Yeah, so and, let's say, yeah, go ahead. Um, no, so yeah, I also, now I was living in Montana versus living in Florida. So now I was able to have all this, this vert right outside my front door. So I just hit the mountains as hard as I could and would just do repeats and just make it hard every day. And I just made sure to just get as much vert as possible and higher mileage and um, yeah. What was, uh, like for, let's say, cause you know, you got your, your peak and then your taper. What was maybe an average week for vertical gain for 2021? Yeah. Um, I was probably doing, I was probably doing like eight to 10,000 feet of vert a week. And I was doing anywhere from maybe 45 to like 70 miles a week. A week. Okay. Um, so I was doing pretty high volume, high vert. Um, it wasn't specifically tailored. I was just going out and just, just doing trying it. to hit these summits mm-hmm. and do repeats of doing that. Yeah. So let's talk about 2021 last year. How did that race go for you? Uh, not too well. Um, I, I think everybody kind of knew what I did in 2020 and I 
a lot of people were coming back for that second year and everyone kind of knew that I, I pulled every other race. I've been solely training for this race. There was a lot of hype around me. There was a lot of eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll be the first to say I was extremely cocky going into the second year just with my results from the first year. And now I'm living in a state with big mountains and I'm getting tons of hurt. And I was, you know, I was really fit. So I had no, I, I was extremely cocky going into this yeah, race. Yeah. And what happened like about a month before the race, I ended up, I ended up rolling my ankle really bad on mm. this run twice. And I could not run my knee or excuse me. My ankle was about the size of my knee. Jeez. And, um, so the last like 30 days before the race, I didn't run a single thing. I would just sit at home and kind of have a little bit of a pity party for myself and watch YouTube and just drink some beer. And <laughs> I didn't do anything to try to actively correct my ankle or anything like that. I mean, it healed up in time uh, right before the race. I was able to perform. But when it came down to race day, like I wasn't managing. I wasn't managing myself properly. I kind of had some help the year before with my other buddy. His wife helped us throughout and we were running a little bit faster this year i was just kind of focused on or 2021 i was focused on the competition and who i was going to be against and i kind of i didn't run my own race and i ran somebody else's race i ran a much slower pace i didn't have help um, i wasn't managing the heat at all um coming coming from montana going back to the south um it kicked me right in the butt and i realized that I'm not a Floridian anymore and I don't have this heat and humidity that I can just endure. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wasn't managing my heat. I don't think I tried to do that until like mile or excuse me, like hour, like eight or nine. Um, I fell super behind on calories. I got super overheated. I was not taking in enough salt. I was watching other people. I wasn't doing my own thing. So every, the day just kind of fell, fell apart pretty, pretty early. And I kind of, I knew it wasn't going to last much longer. And around mile 19 is kind of when, once I started realizing everything was falling apart. Yeah. What did you, um, what was your, uh, how many hours or how many loops did you make it the second year? Um, I, I can't remember how many loops exactly, but the mileage was about 33. So I did like less than half than what I did wow. the first year. So yeah. you, so you were hurt. You had the pity party. You didn't. You, you didn't focus on you. You were focused on other people in the race, and it was a literally like a race of humble pie, right? Right, and it was it was such a false sense of confidence too that I arrived the second year with, uh, just because I was like, oh well, it's a one point one mile loop. I know every turn, every climb, every section. It's not going to be that bad, and um, yeah, it was a, it was a very rude awakening, but it was something that needed to happen. Yeah. So then the fire was lit then. I'm assuming that after that race, you were like, you know what? I'm not letting this happen. I'm going after it again for the third time. So talk about that transition from after the second race to your planning for the, the one we just raced this uh, past weekend. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I, you know, I, I came home again, you know, after this race. You know, the first, first year, you don't really know what you're looking forward to. So this whole first year, this race just ate at me. 2021 was not my year so now i had a whole nother 365 days to sit there and kind of dwell and think and reflect of what happened what i could have done differently so i trained a lot smarter um i reduced how i, I got a coach uh, uh becca becca and john they're my coach uh, oh nice I re with their training i had me running 
fewer miles. So I'd be running, you know, like anywhere from like 25 to 45 miles, um, doing more vert, but doing much higher quality miles. Mm -hmm. It wasn't all these like filler miles. There's time on feet things. It was very specific um, for mid state. And I just became very disciplined with that. And, you know, I was very disciplined with like what I was eating and how much I was drinking and managing salt and electrolytes. Um, And toward the end of the, for the end of my training block, you know, we started doing heat training, and which is something I did not do the year before. So right now in Montana, it's like perfect, perfect running weather. Uh, snow's going away. Everybody's in shirts and uh, shorts. And then I'm out there in like three long sleeve shirts and gloves and a beanie trying to just make it absolutely tough and miserable and hot just because I know what's going to happen mm-hmm. a few months from now. So I would just try uh, the heat training was something that was really, really uh, crucial for um, success at this race. When did you start your heat training? Um, I started it probably about two weeks before. Okay, uh, so two, three weeks before the race, um, just wearing extra clothes. And then as it got down to the paper week, um, I started uh, going to the gym and using like the sauna and the steam room and um, replenishing myself with like electrolytes and fluids afterwards. And just kind of getting used to just sitting in a real uncomfortable environment in the heat in the sauna or steam room and just trying to get through that. Yeah. So let's talk specifics about this race then for you. Um, what did you do uh, in between loops that really helped? So this year, so I had a dedicated crew person, uh, Kevin Mills. He was my main man uh, who helped me through this race. And we we had a system. So when I'd come through the loop, I had this cordless Ryobi fan. That ran I on saw that. Batteries. Yeah, that was awesome. So that was awesome. Uh, so we would turn that thing on. I'd have um, some arm sleeves and a buff that were soaking in some ice water. So we'd put those on my arms and we put those on my neck. And we would start cooling before I even got hot. Um, in veterinary medicine, they have this quote, it's, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Mm. So that's really addressing, address the problem before it's a problem. Yeah. So we were always ahead. Um, I was also, I'm a really heavy sweater. I lose a lot of salts when I'm sweating. Um, so we also were making, making a, a deliberate point to be taking in salt as mm-hmm. I was losing it. Mm-hmm. And did you use salt tabs or just a, a drink that had a lot of sodium in it? I kind of had a mix of everything, honestly. Um, I had I had salt caps uh, salt capsules that I would take. Um, I would take about two of those every like third loop. Um, mm-hmm. We made sure that it was about an hour apart. Um, if I was sweating a little heavier, maybe I would take three. Uh, also, I was drinking hoist the whole time. Uh, also, I had some coconut water, and then you know, just sometimes when it was just too much salt, I would just have regular water. But yeah, made it a deliberate point to keep taking in salt. Mm-hmm. And nutrition, I mean. Food-wise, what were you able to eat? Um, honestly, everything. Uh, I really? think I scared some of the people with what I was eating at the race. So um, I had a lot of, like, solid foods. Um, as far as, you know, I had, like, the clementine oranges and strawberries and bananas. But I'd also have things like Fig Newtons or some, like, crackers. Um, I even had uh, my favorite to eat during a race like this is a mashed potato burrito. So I just get the instant mashed potatoes from Kroger's and I roll it up in a tortilla, cut it in half. Mm. I also had some hot dogs and I even put a little bit of mayonnaise on that. And I think I scared everybody in the oh crowd by goodness. eating that. <laughs> I know. 
but yeah, so there was a little bit of that also. So I was able to eat everything. Um, I really didn't take anything from the aid station. Um, I Everything I had brought with me um, had worked for me. And these were kind of things I'd been experimenting with in my other races and previous mid-states that I knew worked for me. Yeah, I think that's the key, Eric, is a lot of people sometimes go into a race and they try something different or and they're like, whoa, that did not work well. Well, that's because you didn't try it during your training. So I, I did the Absolutely. same thing. I, I only ate things that I would eat when I would train because I just know my body now. And I think that's a, that's a key, again, for prior preparation prevents that poor performance is making sure that you're, you're just practicing like you're in the game, in the race event. So, yeah, I mean, I watched you, um, and I was able to get out there for 13 hours. It was the first time I raced uh, this event, and I, I learned a lot. And I just witnessed all of you guys. I, I like, um, I forget who posted it, but the four horsemen at the end. That was, that was so cool. So, so let's talk about um, what, when you started to, I mean, everyone gets aches and pains on the, on the trails, especially after running for that long. How do you manage that pain? for yourself um i've i've always kind of told myself that you know it doesn't always get worse in an ultra you know and i've told myself that pain is not linear pain is cyclical like it'll come in a cycle so like i might be feeling bad now but i'm gonna feel good in a little bit Mm -hmm. it's not that i'm feeling bad and i'm gonna continue to feel even more bad as time goes on and i've kind of learned that these waves kind of come and go and usually these swings kind of happen either because of nutrition or hydration. So mm-hmm. kind of staying on top of that will help kind of keep your mind where it should be. And I've kind of learned that, yeah, if I'm feeling something here, if I just, if I'm patient enough in the process that it'll, it'll go away or pain will go somewhere else. Um, something else will end up hurting. And when you're out there for that long, I mean, it's just the human body. Things tend to hurt after you do things sometimes, but I just knew that, it wouldn't always be like that. And this is also something that I can recover from once this is done. So this is temporary. And I just had to accept that and just be in that. I, I agree. That's something I still, uh, I think a lot of runners have to learn that because you almost feel like it's going south and you're like, ah, oh, this is the way it's going to be forever, right? And then I just got to tap out where you just got to go through it, make some adaptations with your diet and nutrition and, and you just keep plugging away. So that's a, that's a great tidbit for, for everyone listening. Let's get to, to the end of the race. So you and Justin were the last two. Um, what were those miles like with him? And, and how was he, how was the, I wouldn't say the word battle, but how was the, uh, the competition? Was it, was it lighthearted? Was it, um, quiet? Was it fierce? No, it was, it was super lighthearted. Um, you know, Justin Hamilton and I were, we're good buddies. You know, we've been training virtually together, for the last year for mid-state and i've been watching his training he's been watching mine we've been you know keeping each other stoked on what we're doing and um so it was great to finally actually get to run a race with him Mm because i know he's a pretty accomplished runner as well and it was it was nothing but like running with like a family member you know i think there was a couple times you know just throughout the night we did a couple quiet loops but for the most time, like we were always like positive. Our head was always in the game. He ran his own race. I ran my own race. Sometimes we run loops together, but it was never, I got to do this because he's doing this or he's got to do what I'm doing because I'm doing this. It mm-hmm. was, we both were very much on our own path out there, but we were still able to work together as like this moving unit and still be a team, even though we were in the middle of a competition. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think 
How much different then is this race, the mid-state, than it would be for a 50 or 100 miler for you? So I think in that sense, you know, you you can run a 50 miler and you can get to these distances, you know, and you say 50 miles, you know, that's a finite number. You know, a last man standing, it's a race with no end. So you don't really know where the finish line is. So you can run a 50 miler and you can have these little check boxes uh, and you can be like, okay, I hit, I hit 20 marathons. All right, now we're at a marathon. Okay, now we're at a 50K. We've only got, you know, 19 more miles to go. And when I would run this race in 2020 and 2021, I'd hear all these people asking, you know, how far have we gone? How, how much vert have we done? How many loops? And then it really doesn't matter mm-hmm. in this format. It's kind of irrelevant. You're just doing a mile until you're not. Um, so I think with this race, eliminating those little tiny check check boxes um, of goals these little sub goals i think eliminating that is something that's helpful because people i found in this race will get very content with oh i did this so now that's good enough and Mm -hmm. then they won't want to keep pursuing to run that loop anymore they'll be like okay i got a 50k i'm good with that that's an ultra we're done yeah versus not knowing and just staying in it and just approaching it like it's one mile at a time yeah, that's a great mindset because I think um, I, I got caught in that trap too of like, hey, I, I had a goal before I came in. I'm like, I'm going to run for at least 12 hours and then see what happens. Where it sounds like from being their, their third year, it's like, don't put a cap on it. You run until you can't run anymore. And you take Absolutely. one, right? And you take one loop at a time and learn how to manage um, whatever the pain or whatever nutrition that you're going through. And it's a sound advice. So it's just, it's nice to hear that um, for people who will run this race in the future is you're right. Just take one loop at a time um, and have a great crew around you or one point person to help you with your, you know, not survival, but literally getting to the next loop, get to the next loop um, to push you out to uh, the start line. So do you have any uh, parting words for everybody? What you learn from either this race, I'm sorry, either this race or in general in life. I, I would say with you know this race, the the beautiful thing that happens about this versus from an athletic standpoint of running so many miles or getting so much vert or winning or anything like that. I think what's more important in this race is the growth that comes out of it. Um, there's not many you know 50 milers or 100 milers that people hit this finish line and then they go. I had so much more to give. I could have run further. Most of the time you'll hear people just go, oh, I'm never doing that race again, and then Mm -hmm. they'll end up signing up for it. Almost every time somebody runs mid-state mile, within, you know, once they start feeling better, everybody realizes they had more to give. And it's cool to watch the growth over the next year of these people and their training and in their lives come back and put more on the table. And I like just those people answering the call and the community around this because everybody is out there to find something um, more about themselves that they didn't know they had. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, it really is a testament of people's character. And it's more than just a race that I've learned. I learned it's about the community, the fellowship, um, just the people who are there to support you and to push you to do more than you ever thought imaginable. So. Eric, give your stats again for how much you ran and how many hours in uh, total vert. Sure. So I ran for 116 loops, which ended up being 127.6 miles. 
I ran for 39 hours and 40 minutes, and I got a total of 39,440 feet of gain and loss. That's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Oh, man, that's so great. Um, so for people to connect with you, what's the best way? Uh, so I'm on uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram. Um, my handle is just at Eric Keenly. Um, I'm also on Strava. Um, I'm you know more than happy to answer anybody's questions about training or mid-state or, or just running in general. So, um, but, yeah, you can, you can just send me a message, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Well, Eric, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on um, today. Uh, just sound wisdom that you have. Um, I know you're a great father, and that's that's the most important thing is having character. And it just sounds like you have a well-balanced life. And I'm just so so happy to have uh, met you, to have run with you, and to um, just witness greatness. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep pushing yourself to new levels. And um, just keep living a fulfilled life, my man. Oh, absolutely. No, it was, a, it was a pleasure chatting with you, and hopefully I'll see you at a mid-state next year. Absolutely. Well, everyone, this class is dismissed. <laughs>